So this morning, I'm reading this article at San Diego Unitribune.com, and the title of it was called San Diego is Thinking Big, Scary Big. And man, what a great article this was. And I I, I was already trying to come up with my next episode and the podcast was going to be about. And I really wanted to get into you know, the whole idea of goal setting and bucket lists and a lot of ways to kind of plan our personal and business lives. But then when I saw what's happening here locally in San Diego County, this is fascinating and really is very aligned with what I wanted to talk about. So this is a great opportunity to talk about a lot of current events that are happening here locally and really transforming these ideas into ways that I think this can benefit you. Because we're going to get into bucket lists and goal setting and a lot of other things in this episode. But Let's go through this article just briefly. And there's a lot of fascinating things here. And these are all major infrastructure projects that are underway or under or being considered or maybe in concept stage. Some are very near completion. Um, So it's just a really neat story to tell here. And the first one in the list was the recent news about this $5 billion, essentially, pipeline that they want to bring, you know, not the Keystone XL pipeline, but this is one where they want to bring more water into San Diego. And they want to bring it from the Colorado River, and they want to essentially bore through mountains, you know, you know, in East County, essentially like creating tunnels and having this incredible waterway to bring more water into San Diego. And, you know, we live on a desert next to the ocean and water is always a big consideration. But this is a big idea. I mean, this is a scary big idea, $5 billion. And I don't know if you saw some of the stories on it, but it was really interesting. Now, I kind of wonder, is this the right answer? I mean, we've already got that desalinization plant in Carlsbad that supplies about 7% of our water in the county. And I know that first plant was really expensive to build, like a billion dollars. But, you know, future plants are going to be a lot more efficient, a lot less costly. And we've got an unending supply of water just to the west in the Pacific Ocean. Um, And, you know, there's other, other projects underway about, you know, converting wastewater, which we'll talk about here in a second. But it's it's interesting that there's a lot of thought leaders that are coming up with these big ideas. And, you know, this concept of this huge pipeline from the desert, from the Colorado River to San Diego, intriguing. And then, of course, there was the even bigger project, this $180 billion futuristic transportation system for San Diego County. And that's being considered by the leaders at Sandag. And, you know, this is going to involve more more rail, more uh, subways and trains. There's going to be um, more autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles. They're, they're talking about bike lanes and pedestrians, and it's this comprehensive transportation solution for San Diego County. And, you know, it's more than just simply broadening the freeways. And on one level, this is great. I mean, it's thinking big. It's thinking in the future. It's really trying to break the mold of San Diego as sort of this little town, this small town mentality. Um, you know, again, I, I'm not sure if the answer, the, the solution that's being presented is the solution I would propose. You know, I've always talked about electric vehicles. I think electric vehicles, especially autonomous vehicles, can be extraordinarily efficient to deliver people from point A to point B to precisely where they are to where they want to go and do it 
without having to create all sorts of infrastructure. We can use the roads that already exist. And, you know, there's a lot more people working from home, so there's a lot less urgency for this sort of thing. But it's still, I love the fact that there are people that are thinking big in San Diego County and putting these big ideas on the table where there's a lot of debate, you know, vigorous debate on this. And the article goes on to talk about some of the plans that the San Diego Port Commission has for the San Diego Bay. And a lot of these, I, I had no idea. And I, you know, here's a map of it right here. I'm sharing on, on the video. But there's a huge project plan um, for Harbor Island. Um, and they're going to be building more hotels there near the airport, but also connecting uh, walkways from, you know, the mainland onto Harbor Island. There's there's talk of really blowing up Seaport Village and replacing that with this this two and a half billion dollar, you know, central Embarcadero plan with a 500 foot observation tower, several hotels, shops and an education hub, a large conference and concert venue, office space for ocean research. Um, the San Diego Port District is also, also uh, working on building a, a Costa Vista RV resort, uh, you know, a resort for our, for recreational vehicles down on the Chula Vista Bayfront. And then this Gaylord Pacific Resort and Convention Center, um, it's a $1.1 billion project being put forward uh, by the city of Chula Vista. Uh, with hotels and $275,000 of convention center space. And that's actually going to begin later this year. They're going to start construction on this. A lot of things there down by the bay, I had no idea. But these are huge projects, big projects, big ideas. And, you know, the other one that you know, I've been personally seeing a lot of is what's happening down at the site for, you know, Jack Murphy Stadium, Qualcomm Stadium, what was the last name of it? SDCCU Stadium. And, you know, right now they're they're tearing down the, the old baseball football stadium and simultaneously building this whole San Diego State West campus there at that site. And the first part of the project is they're building a brand new football stadium for the Aztecs. And we're seeing that underway right now. And I mean, the wheels are in motion. And I know the Aztec football program is hoping that's going to be um, available for the start of their 2023 season. Um, so that's exciting as well. Um, you know, it's like, how long ago was it that we voted on that? Or at least not we, I, I live in Poway, but the people that lived in the city of San Diego voted on uh, San Diego State West. And then the other one was what, Soccer City. And it's a they're going to transform that entire parking lot, stadium area, and and you know San Diego State. That proposal was the one the voters chose, but it's going to have housing for students. It's going to provide classrooms to expand the campus. You know, because right now San Diego State is you know kind of landlocked; they can't really grow much more. Uh, so this is going to provide great growth opportunities for them, and then the stadium. And I think there's going to be a lot of commercial opportunities there for businesses to be integrated um, on that space. So that's really exciting, in my opinion. And um, you know, it's it's nice that we have this, these. Kind of forward, thir forward thinking people coming up with these big ideas, and, and and honestly, you know, Qualcomm Stadium. I mean, that place was a dump near the end. Um, it definitely needed to go. In fact, when did they build that? It was like, was it sixty seven, sixty eight? I think something like that when it debuted and. 
They built it. I remember David Leland corrected me. They built it for the Chargers. Uh, but it, of course, the Padres used that when they started up in 1969. But that's exciting, too. So more big changes. And then UCSD expansion is going on. And I read this article that said, you know, in the next five to 10 years, you're not going to recognize UCSD from what it is now to what it's going to be. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, UCSD isn't anything like what it was when I graduated there in 1987. Um, Whenever I revisit campus, it's like, you know, going to a foreign nation. It's completely different than when I was there as a student. You know, when I was there, I graduated in 87. I think we had 13,500 undergrads. And now they're talking about as many as 40,000 students at UCSD. I mean, it's tripled in size. Um, And, you know, they're going to be a huge expansion. They're talking about more, obviously, more student housing, more classrooms, more research facilities. Uh, But also, it looks like they're going to be building a brand new student center. God, I remember we were at the the small student center there right by the hump and the pub right in front of the main gym. And then right after I graduated in 87, they started construction on the Price Center, you know, named after Sol Price, the, the founder of Price Club, which I think preceded Costco. Um, what a what a you know visionary that guy has been. Um, and now it looks like they're going to be building a new student center to replace the price center, um, or at least to to supplement it. And then the trolley is going to be extended to the campus at UCSD. So unbelievable. And then the pure water project, which is this is the the project that's converting wastewater into drinkable water. And, and, you know, people mockingly refer to this as toilet to tap, but they're able to produce water that's cleaner than the water that comes out of our tap today. So the technology, this is the beautiful thing about human progress is technology is going to solve a lot of these climate challenges, a lot of these resource challenges. Technology is already solving some of our water challenge in San Diego with the desalinization plant, but wastewater um, you know, transformation into crystal clear purified drinking water is another step in the, uh, in the process. If you want to learn more about that, I, I did a podcast, gosh, back in 2018 with Poway City Council member John Mullen when he was running for reelection in 2018. And as a city council member, he sat on, or he currently sits, I think he still does, on the board for Pure Water San Diego. And that's the plant, I think it's in Point Loma, where they're you know converting wastewater into pure drinking water. And so when you add up like all of these projects, um, it's unbelievable how much is really happening in San Diego County. And, you know, for this last year, we've been mostly cooped up in our little COVID bubbles, staying at home. Um, But the world around us is moving fast. And when you think of the sheer scope of all of this and the volume and all these various sections of San Diego County that are going to be dramatically transformed I mean, it's exciting. It's, 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 you know, we can debate the solutions and which is the right answer, but all of these are legitimate problems that need to be solved. I mean, bringing more water, providing better transportation, um, transforming the San Diego Bay to be more economically vibrant and more friendly to visitors, um, expanding San Diego State, finding a home for Aztec football, um, you know, 
UCSD expansion. I mean, UCSD is growing like gangbusters. Lots of students. I mean, there were 118,000 students that applied to go to UCSD for the fall of 2021. I mean, that's unbelievable. And how many, I mean, if they have 40,000 students, you figure they only take 10,000 freshmen out of 118,000 applications. Incredible. So there's huge demand. There are problems that need to be solved. And we've got big thinkers that are doing it. And I think it's great. Um, but what's interesting is, is we've, for at least for most of the time that I've been here in San Diego, and I came here in 82 to be a freshman at UCSD, and there has always been a small town thinking process here. And, you know, a lot of it's because we've been sort of in the shadow of LA, right? Um, but heck, back when I moved here in 1982, San Diego had three major sports teams, you know, the, the Padres, the Chargers, and the Clippers. Now, of course, two of those three have, have bailed out, um, but which kind of confirms this, the naysayers or the small town thinkers. But it's interesting. It's like when Mayor Gloria, when he, when he ran and ultimately won mayor for San Diego, uh, city of San Diego, he was commenting about how we need to be solving big problems like infrastructure, homelessness, but we seem to get, you know, kind of sidetracked on a lot of these small town problems like, you know, scooters or Airbnb vacation rentals. And, and he wants to get us to thinking big, like a big city. And I think that's been a big part of this transformation we're going to see at the area right now that's occupied by the San Diego sports arena. We're going to see a major revitalization there as well. And one of the things that the voters approved, and I think is a great thing, is to to remove the height limits on buildings so we can have taller buildings, high rises, more housing opportunities, you know, really, because we have a gigantic housing crisis. But there's now really a, 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 a more forward thinking approach. It's funny when Mayor, Mayor Faulkner gave his state of the city address a year or two ago, he was talking about the need for housing and, you know, it's the housing has often been thwarted by the NIMBYs, right? Not in my backyard. And we've got, you know, quite a bit of that here in Poway. But um, now the, the, the focus is shifting. I think the public view is shifting. And now this concept that they're not calling them NIMBY, but now it's YIMBY. Yes, in my backyard, because of all the benefits that it provides to my backyard um, and to and to our particular community. And so now the Democrats, you know, who typically have been very resistant to development, you know, because they're always creating that good and evil relationship between the people and the de evil developers. They're now kind of turning the corner a bit well, as well and really seeing the benefit to growth and and to essentially progress in our city. Um, but, you know, the, the article actually in the UT talked a lot about how when the San Diego concourse was built, and that's the, 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 the facility there downtown that has convention center space and has, um, I think the Civic Theater is there. Um, that was built in 69. It was too small when it was built. Then the convention center was built in 1989. And of course, that was not big enough. And we, they keep expanding it, but they're always sort of behind the curve. It's never big enough. It's been that small town thinking and people underestimate. And then as the city keeps growing, I mean, people want to live in San Diego. People want a vacation in San Diego. People want to have their business conventions in San Diego. 
people don't realize the demand here in the city. Um, but really, um, there's a lot of people in San Diego that just don't want growth, period. They're like, hey, put up a, you know, sorry, folks, the 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 inn is full. You know, that's what they want to essentially project to the rest of the, of the world. You know, don't come to San Diego, man, we're full. Uh, I remember I had a coworker and this was, gosh, 20, 25 years ago. And we were talking about this, the the San Diego airport and the future of the airport. And that's always been a hot topic, right? I mean, the, the airport actually has made some pretty good strides, but still it's a small airport relative to airports all across the country. And I remember my coworker saying is, I don't want the airport to be bigger. And I was saying, what are you talking about? I mean, it's limiting our growth and it's limiting economic opportunity. And he looked at me straight in the face. And he said, Exactly. <laughs> I want to limit growth. I want to limit economic opportunity because he wanted to keep San Diego as this this little village along the sea, this this small town um, and and not become a big city, you know, because I think a lot of people are spooked by the sprawl of L.A. or the congestion of the freeways in San Francisco, and they just want to be left alone. And I think there's value in that. There's no question. That's that's a virtuous idea, but it's not consistent with reality. It's not consistent with human progress. I mean, what's the old saying? If if you're not growing, then you're shrinking. You know, if you're not improving, then you're declining. You know, we have to improve. We have to evolve and, and evolve with the times. But still, the small town, you know, the, the small town mindset, the Chargers couldn't get a stadium here. Now, frankly, I was kind of happy they didn't because it would have had to have been subsidized by taxpayers, where, frankly, a stadium is there to help billionaires and their football team. It should be public, should be privately funded. But still, we couldn't figure it out, right, as a, as a community. And then eventually, we kind of figured that the Chargers and the Spanos family wanted to be in L.A. anyways, um, sort of a moot point. But still, the idea of getting a new stadium for the Chargers was a huge hurdle because of the small thinking of a lot of people in San Diego. And so it's nice to see that we're turning the corner here. Um, it's nice to see that people are beginning to embrace developers and understand that they do offer quality. They offer value, not just for their own pocketbooks, but for the community at large. I mean, Poway is going through a trans, a transformation itself right now. Um, on Poway road, there's, um, a lot of development. And even here over by Stone Ridge Country Club, they're going to be building the farm. So even here in Poway, we're turning the corner and embracing growth and grace, embracing the future, embracing new possibilities. And I think this is terrific. Now, if you go back in history, it's interesting is, you know, a long time ago, San Diego used to think big. And around the turn of the century, you know, 120 years ago, San Diego was made a major naval port, which makes sense given the given the geography of the San Diego Bay. But we had a, a large naval presence here early. And then there was the 1915 uh, Panama, California Expo. And, you know, I was just reading about this just a few months ago as I was just surfing through YouTube and watching videos about San Diego and our history and this was this is an interesting topic. It's worthy of exploration. I encourage you to check it out. But the thumbnail is is right after the Panama Canal was built. Suddenly, there was opportunity for people on the East Coast to take, 
you know, passenger ships and visit the West Coast. And San Diego, of course, is the first, you know, major city in California that they would encounter, you know, traveling northbound from the Panama Canal. And so they had this big expo and that's a big part of how or how uh Balboa Park got built. That's really how the San Diego Zoo got started. And that was a big part of establishing San Diego as a legit city, not just a, you know, a village or a, um, a presidio or uh, a mission, you know, on uh, Father Junipero Serra's uh, El Camino Real, but it was a legitimate city. And that expo was a big part of it. That was our early early leaders fought big, and then um, then they built uh, Mission Bay Aquatic Park, which is one of the m- most amazing and and and, uh, and unusual really aquatic parks in America, where they transformed a swamp into this amazing vacation destination, and all kinds of water sports and leisure activities, and housing opportunities that were built along that area. And then, of course, the you know talking about UCSD again, 1960, UC San Diego was built, and that was another inflection point on the curve. That was a time when San Diego was growing up even more, having a major institutional research facility here in San Diego, um, essentially a hub for scientists to come and to innovate. And that's been a big part of why we have this great biotech community here in San Diego. There's there's a lot of other addition, other forms of high technology that are here. Um, you know, and some people have referred to San Diego as sort of like a, a small version of Silicon Valley. And all that, that really couldn't have been made possible if we didn't have a major university here. So UCSD was a big part of this as well. And it seemed like, you know, San Diego was growing and progressing and, you know, from from the Naval uh, facility to the, the Panama California Expo to the growth after World War One and World War Two. Um, then you get UCSD in the 1960s. And then suddenly we get into the 70s and 80s and people are like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. And they want to slow things down. And that's why we we saw all of these, essentially, I'll say, um, you know, the NIMBYs really got more in control and they wanted to protect San Diego and protect it essentially from evolution. They wanted to freeze it in time. And this is the debate that we even have here in my, our small town of Poway. There are people that want to essentially freeze Poway in time and keep it the way it's always been. Uh, or or transform it backwards in time to the way that it used to be in the 1960s and 1970s. And, and I'm not saying that flippantly. There are a lot of people that really want that. But it's a dream. And it's really not reality because we, you know, things constantly change, right? That if there's any one constant, it's change is the constant. And, you know, people people can resist change. And I get it. I resist change in certain aspects of my life. But when we embrace it, that's when we move forward. When we embrace it, that's when we see opportunity. Uh, when we embrace change, that's when we progress, um, not just as individuals, not just as a community. But that's how human civilization progresses. So um, it, it, this was just a fascinating article. And like I said, I was um, I was planning on doing this podcast and, and really talking more about goal setting. And this really sets – this tees it up very nicely, I thought – and, you know, San Diego, the article, what is the title of the article here? San Diego is thinking big, scary big. So the question to you is, 
are you thinking big? Are you thinking scary big? I mean, what are you doing in your business, in your life to think big? And I know it's hard, you know, to think big. I mean, I know with, you know, we had the Great Recession, you know, 12 years ago, and that that punched a lot of people in the nose and set people back. You know, the, the, con- the whole concept of thinking big was really off the radar. People were just trying to survive. Then you go through most of the Two, the the two thousand teens, and we had you know steady economic growth, and then this COVID thing happens, and all of a sudden our worlds get blown up. People are working from home. A lot of people are out of work. The whole society seems to be kind of frozen to a degree, and the, again the idea of thinking big sometimes gets away from us. We we start just thinking very day to day. We just want to kind of get through it rather than focusing on these big ideas. Um, there's, a, there's a concept, and, and if you're in the business community, you may have heard it. It's called BHAG. And you're like, what, what the hell is BHAG? And it's B-H-A-G. It's an acronym, BHAG. And it stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. And this is a concept that came up in the book um, called Built to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies. And it was written by James Collins and Jerry Porras. And James Collins is a great author. And if you ever read his book, Good to Great, I mean, that's an awesome book. And and there's a lot of concepts actually in his book, Good to Great, that I talk about all the time or I think about all the time when I'm working in business and when I'm consulting with my clients. I mean, the whole idea of getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus, you know, talks about, you know, how you assemble your teams the hedgehog concept, you know, what can you be the greatest thing, uh, the greatest in the world at um, the flywheel concept of building momentum, the the Stockdale complex about confronting the brutal facts. That's all good stuff. I mean, Jim Collins has really written some great things that are helpful in the business world, but also personally. So, you know, as I was preparing this podcast, I was thinking to myself, geez, th- those would be wonderful podcast episodes. And so I'm going to do those. Um, very soon, uh, talking about sort of a, a book review of those because the, the 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 bullet points in those books are powerful. But in Built to Last, he talked about the the BHAG, the the big hairy audacious goal, and this is you know kind of that that goal, that north star, that that visionary idea that just gets people in their gut, that that really motivates people and they can see the vision. And, and a great example is when John F. Kennedy, when, you know, was it at his inauguration or shortly thereafter, he said, I intend to put a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth this decade in the 1960s. That was a big, hairy, audacious goal, something that sounded absolutely outrageous at the time, a time when, frankly, that was before John Glenn was up in space and had orbited. So this was beyond the scope of thinking um, of most ordinary people. Probably scientists were the only ones that realized that that they, they could actually pull this off and only if they were fortunate and only if they had lots of resources and funding to do it. But it was a big, hairy, audacious goal, and it galvanized the people, and it rallied the people, and they, and it was a tangible concept. It was something that you know had a focal point. There was a finish line. You knew when you completed it, and it rallied people. 
And those are the kinds of big ideas, scary big ideas, like we we're talking about in the Union Tribune article, that really can motivate you on an individual level or motivate a company. Um, and there are lots of other, you know, uh, BHAGs. And I looked up a few more, and, and this is a good one. And this was, you know, this is for Amazon. And now Amazon has obviously changed dramatically, especially over the last 10 years. But remember when Amazon first started up, it was Jeff Bezos and he was in his garage and he was trying to build an online store and he wanted to make it a bookstore. And his big, hairy, audacious goal then was to provide every book ever printed in any language and and sell it in less than 60 seconds. And he did. <laughs> and, and and really, that's what got Amazon going. And, and, you know, as a result, Barnes and Noble and Borders and a lot of other bookstores couldn't compete. He transformed the industry and he built a model that was scalable. And now suddenly he could venture into other other markets. And now Amazon has grown to be this unbelievably amazing company that is that is now. But it never would have been. Amazon never would have been what it is now if he didn't have that original BHAG of providing every book ever printed in any language in less than 60 seconds. Another great one is from Microsoft. Put a computer on every desk in every home. Now, Microsoft started in the late 1970s. I mean, Back then, the IBM PC and MS-DOS, much less Windows, didn't even exist. Um, the Apple computers, when did those come on? I think those were coming on a market right around then in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. Um, I know that there was, of course, the, the Radio Shack TRS-80 was back there in the or in the late 70s. I remember my, uh, my, my uh, com- ma- computer math class. Whoop. Phone ringing during a podcast. We're going to turn that off. But um, I remember my computer math class at Mills High School in, in uh, Millbrae, California, where I went to high school. Uh, we we I, I took a, a basic programming class there. It was fantastic. A great introduction to computers. But some of my classmates were just hardcore computer nerds, and they had the TRS-80 from Radio Shack. They used to jokingly call it the Trash 80. Um but back then, the, the idea that there would be home computers, it sounded outrageous. And, but it's come true. And then I re- even remember um, in the 1990s, and you know, I, back in the early 90s, I worked for a Japanese software company. And what we did is we um, localized software for the Japanese market. We essentially translated user interfaces, translated user manuals into Japanese and repackaged the product and sold it in Japan. And we also imported Japanese software into the United States and sold it to Japanese expatriates that were living in America. It was a very interesting company and learned a great deal. But back then in the early 90s, um, Windows was already a thing. Of course, the Macintosh, I think that started right in 1984 with that George Orwell commercial during the Super Bowl. But then in the late 80s, we had um, Microsoft Windows. And back then it was like Windows version one or two. Eventually it was 3.1. And that was before we got to Windows 95. But um, we were seeing a lot more proliferation of, of desktop computers in the workplace, but we were also seeing it in the home. 
And I remember some of my Japanese coworkers that came over from Tokyo to, to our San Diego office, and we'd talk about you know, computers, and we talked about a, a computer in the house. And back then, I had one, because uh, prior to that, I used to work for Wang Laboratories, which was really like more or less the inventor of word processing systems and was the darling of Wall Street in the in the 1980s and had grown into a, a reasonably successful mid-range computer company. But then with the uh, the advent of the PC, you know, they, they kind of got um, bulldozed over. I mean, just as an aside, Wang Laboratories in some cases were behind the curve um, in terms of big, hairy, audacious goals and being a visionary. But in other categories, they were way ahead of the curve. I remember in my last year I worked there, Wang had developed a tablet, um, a tablet computer with a stylus, and it would interface with mid-range systems and with desktop computers. It was like an iPad. Um, and it was fantastic. And it had the graphical user interface, just like you would have with Windows or with the Macintosh. And this was in 1990, 1990, they had this. And that was before, you know, that, they were way ahead of the curve. Um, but anyways, I digress. The, the point was, is that when I worked for the Japanese software company, a lot of my Japanese coworkers, we talk about how we have computers in the home in the United States. And I think I said back then that we're going to see computers in every home. And they just couldn't conceive of that idea. They thought, no way. I mean, they're just too expensive. And there's no and what would people use them for? Because these guys were engineers and they were programmers. And I was saying a lot of things. I mean, they'll be able to do their banking. And, you know, I think was Quicken was starting to become a thing back then. Or maybe that was a little early for it, but people were using Lotus One Two Three and VisiCalc back then to do financial analysis. I said it's going to grow. You watch, and they didn't believe me, but it's true. And now Microsoft, uh, a computer on every desk in every home—that's a big, hairy, audacious goal, and it's come true. And without those big, hairy, audacious goals, you don't have that that brass ring to reach for that, that, that idea that not only galvanizes a nation, like putting a man on the moon, galvanizes a company like providing every book in every language and have it for sale in less than 60 seconds or, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. I mean, there's a, there's a role for that in life. And I don't know. How about, well, I don't know what you've done in your life as far as goal setting is concerned. Um, I've done it. I've gone through various phases of my life setting goals. And it's a fun exercise, right? I mean, you talk about things that you want to do in in your personal life with family and and children. There are goals that you have for your your career. And, and if you own a business, goals for that business itself. You know, there's goals for health and personal fitness. There's goals for leisure and you know travel and places you want to visit. I mean, all of us likely have a bucket list of some sort, or if we don't have it documented, we probably have one in our head. And I've gone through various phases of this, and you make this list of all the things you want to do. And at some point, it becomes like overwhelming, right? At some point, it's hard to really get a hold of any one of those. Um, some of them seem insane, like there was no way you would ever achieve them. Um, but again, you'd be surprised at what's possible. And when I've gone through this process, I, I, mean, I can look back at some of my own goals that I've set. And I know some of them I've, I've hit a home run on. 
and I've hit that goal and gone beyond my expectation and been extraordinarily pleased. There are other goals that I've gone close to all the way, but never really finished. Um, I don't know if you have any goals like that. Um, there are other goals that, you know, I just never really kind of got traction. I got part way. Um, and then there are others that I've had on my list for a long time that just seem like sort of a dream. You know, they, you know, bucket list things like travel to some of these, um, you know, places around the world that I thought that'd be wonderful, but you know, someday, you know, I'll get to that someday. And someday sometimes never comes, right? We get busy and, you know, I remember when I was young, I start my career and then you get married and then, oh my God, you have children and that your whole, that rocks your world in a good way. Um, but it, that was by far the most um, transformational event in my life was when my daughter was born. Uh, and it changed my life radically, but for the right reasons, all good, but it was huge. Um, and, you know, then your goals change, right? And then it shifts a little bit. And it's interesting is that I know that, you know, time just keeps rolling, right? The calendar keeps flipping and suddenly, you know, you drift to a degree, you know, there, there are certain goals you're always trying to achieve, but then there's also the day to day, right? You've got to take care of things around your house. You got to take care of things in your job. You've got to take care of things in your own personal life. And we can go through and be so buried in the weeds that we lose sight of the big picture. You know, it's the forest versus the trees. Sometimes those goals that we originally set out for us when we were all optimistic and in our 20s or even in our 30s become unrealistic, become become almost they almost sort of fade away into the ether. They 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 suddenly fall off the radar of your bucket list. And it's a damn shame because when you made those those goals in the very beginning, they were critical. I mean, they were huge motivators for you at that time of your life. Now, there are some people that are just really good at this, that set goals, achieve goals, hit at home runs, in and out, day after day, year after year, they get their stuff done. And man, tip of the hat to those people. But that's hard, you know, with everything that goes on in life. So just recently, like over the weekend, I was really reflecting on some of my own goals. And I started rethinking in my bullet, my bucket list. And I, I had the document, it was on my computer and I went and found it. And I went through that list and I said to myself, like, oh my God, you know, this is amazing to re relook at the list because again, a lot of them I've done, I've, I've hit home runs. A lot of them were incomplete. That's the, the grade I would give myself. I've got part way and maybe I gave up or I got part way and I'm still part way. <laughs> um, but then there are others I haven't even started. Uh, and, and, and some that I completed. I mean, I, I remember, um, I went to like, one of them was to go to Europe and I had, I didn't go to Europe until I was, oh, I think I was 54, maybe 53. And, you know, my daughter was there studying abroad in Florence for the summer between her, was it her sophomore and junior year of college? And I went out and visited her and spent two and a half weeks in Europe. And we were, we went, uh, in Rome and Bologna, we went up to um, Slovenia, you know, the the home country of uh, uh, Melania Trump, and went to Lake Bled, and then we went into Czechoslovakia, or excuse me, we went into um, Croatia, and then we went uh, eventually into um, 
gosh, to Germany. We went to Munich and then we went to Vienna, Austria. And Vienna, Austria, by the way, was my favorite city on that trip. Went to, um, mm, why is the name of the, the city escaping me? The capital of Hungary, uh, Budapest. We went to Budapest and then we went to Prague. And it was all a whirlwind of two and a half weeks, but we, we, got, we saw so much. But I was finally able to go to Europe. And I know a lot of my friends, I mean, they went to Europe when they were in college, you know, they, they took the summer off and went to Europe and that wasn't really realistic for me and my situation, you know, financially and, and, you know, with my family and then, you know, you kind of get going in life and some of those goals, they, they sort of slip away, but I finally got back and was able to accomplish that, but there's still so many other places I want to visit. I mean, I have a long list of places I want to go. Um, but you know, I, I started thinking when I was going through this bucket list, I was like, Oh my God, is I'm 55 years old. You know, I'm about to turn 56 here real soon. And, you know, I I remember my friend Todd Fox, you know, Todd, if you're watching this, I know you check out some of our podcast episodes, but Todd and I went to college together at UCSD. And um, I remember, you know, he he has since, you know, really been, um, he's gone through a lot of changes in his life, all positive. And he's really adopted a a very positive mindset. I know he's really big into the Tony Robbins community and he's, he's become this worldwide traveler. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of places that he posts on Facebook where he's been around the world. It's incredible. And on one of his posts, he said, how much time do you have left? You know I mean? Think about it. How many healthy summers do you have left where you can go on trips where you've got to be fairly active and you got to get around. And, you know, I mean, who knows what the future is? You know, we don't know how long we're going to live. And then even if we, you know, I'm in my fifties and sixties are just right around the corner. It'll probably be here in, in a, a, a moment or two, you know, snap of the fingers, it'll be here. And as you get older, you know, you run into health complications. I mean, anything can happen. How much time do you have left? And oh my God, I've got this whole bucket list of things I want to do. And when I started making that list, I started thinking, holy crap, I could be running out of time. And it sounds morbid. You know, I hope to God I live to my 80s and my 90s, but let's be real. When I'm in my 80s, I'm not going to be a globetrotter traveling through the jungles of Southeast Asia. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be as much of an, a thrill seeker or an adventurer as I get older. So really... How much time do I have left? And so what I did is um, I, I, I decided I'm going to go through my bucket list. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just slot them on the calendar. Say, okay, I can do this one this year and that one next year. But I said, well, that's too broad. I go, I'm going to put them into quarters, you know. Q1, January through March, Q2, April, June, Q3, July, September, Q4, October, December. So I started, I created like a little chart in Microsoft Word and I set up all the quarters and then I started assigning bucket lists and slotted them where I wanted to without putting, spacing them out so it was realistic, not putting too much in any one quarter. And I looked at it and I said, wow, I go, this is achievable. But a lot of this, you know, had me out till my year 62. 
uh, to get all this done on a, in realist in a realistic fashion. I mean, I'm not going to take multiple giant trips a year. I go maybe I can do one a year, maybe one every other year, um, and I plotted it out, and it was incredible. Um, Rather necessarily, you know, it's one thing to set goals and timelines, um, set deadlines for your goals. But this is interesting is to sort of see the matrix of where all your goals are time slotted in your future life and when you think you can achieve them. And so what I did is, I, yeah, I put so there's only like one or two per quarter. And, you know, some are health related goals or fitness. Some are um, travel goals. Some are business goals. Some are, you know, other kinds of personal goals that I have set out for myself. And some of them are milestones on the pathway to the the, the big prize. Right. You know, if you want to have a huge goal, you got to be able to make steps along the way. And I slotted those steps in some of the quarters as well. And the end result of this was massive. Um, mentally, I had clarity. Mentally, I was no longer thinking about future things I wanted to do, things I'm doing now, challenges I have. Sometimes your mind can get clouded. I was able to zero in and just have two goals for this quarter for me. You know, besides my regular day-to-day things, taking care of my family, taking care of my customers, building my business, you know, besides that, which is important, is crucial. It's like the, the biggest part of life is handling your family and your career and yourself, you know, your personal self. But I wanted to put two and and the, were these big, hairy, audacious goals? No, they are steps along the way or they are part of a grander, big, hairy, audacious goal. And you know, one of my big, hairy, audacious goals is to travel the world, is really to to visit every continent. Well, maybe not Antarctica, but to visit every continent and to visit as many countries as possible. I know one of my other friends from college, Mike Lopez, he's I, I, I remember he shared a, uh, a post about this a long time ago, but he must have visited at least 80 countries, 80 Holy moly. Um, It may even be over 100. And how many nations are on this planet? It's like, what, 150, 160? It's something like that. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to achieve that. I don't know if that's realistic or really what I want to do, because there's a lot of places that, frankly, are not of much interest. But definitely, I like to visit every continent. And so far, I've been to three. I've been to North America, of course, um, Europe, which I just described, which I've only been once and I want to go many times. And I've been to Asia. I've been to Tokyo. Um, but there's still so much more in Asia, obviously, to go visit. But I started time slotting these goals. And I'll tell you, like I said, it, I I felt invigorated. I felt that these things that I sort of had on this bucket list that I kind of drifted away from to a degree, a lot of these things are achievable. They're, and they're realistic. And if you slot them by quarter, you only have to focus on those one or two things. And for you, it might not be a trip. For you, it might be something else. Or it might be, you know, you just want to hike to the top of Mount Woodson to Potato Chip Rock. That could be it. And maybe you need to work yourself into shape to do it. Or it could be anything, whether it's local here um, in the San Diego area, whether it's somewhere in the United States you want to visit, whether it's things you want to accomplish um, Maybe you want to do a triathlon. My daughter did a triathlon. When was that? That was in 2019. 
incredible. I mean, that's a huge bucket list. Maybe you want to plan for that. Um, there are all kinds of things that you could do. And if you time slot them, then you know what you can get done this quarter. And then the ones that are further out, you can plan properly on what you need to do to get there, you know, because you're not going to suddenly decide you're going to do a triathlon and get it done that quarter. You're going to have to build up to it. But if you time slot it, it's, it's unbelievable. So I had just great clarity. Um, there was less noise in my mind. Um, I felt optimistic, a lot more optimistic than I was. And I've been sort of on this high all week thinking about this. And I'm really happy I have a chance to share it with you. So um, I'm going to do more of this. I, I want to I'll probably get into more detail about it. And we'll maybe talk more about goal setting and and ways that we can achieve some of the dreams that we have, things that we really want to accomplish in our lives. And I'll take you on the journey with me on some of the things that I've done or that I plan on doing. Um, but there, there's another podcast I listen to that gives me a great deal of inspiration, and it's called um, Wealth, Power, and Influence. And the host of that is Jason Stapleton, and he's a really good guy. And one of the things he talks about in his business are quarterly sprints. And these quarterly sprints are, they do planning. And rather than having an annual plan and the things they want to get done, he and his team, and really his team is him and two people, the three of them, they get together and they say, okay, we know what our ultimate objective is. What do we need to get done this quarter? And they, they, they brainstorm, they strategize, they make a to-do list, and they just go balls to the wall to get that done that quarter. So sometimes monthly planning, you know, months is not enough to get certain projects done. A year, it's too long. It's, there's too much slack but a quarter, that's a really tight time frame to get stuff done, whether it's a, you know, leaping over certain hurdles in your business, um, whether it's, you know, accomplishing certain things in your life on your bucket list. And you only have to add a couple of them. And that I've often had too many goals, too many where it became it became too much where you lacked any focus on any single thing. But when you zero in on a quarter you can accomplish a great deal. And then all those other things that were originally swimming in your mind, you can slot them out for future quarters. And you can say to yourself, okay, I got a plan. I don't have to think about those anymore. I'm going to get to them. I'm confident I will. I just got to get these two things done this quarter or this one thing, this one major thing done this quarter. And then I can move to the next quarter. And then suddenly you begin building momentum. And it's part of that flywheel concept that that's in good to great, but you begin building momentum and you begin checking boxes. And then suddenly, Hey man, you've got, you've got some velocity here. You're, you're getting major traction. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking a lot more about this sort of thing. And I just got some really good vibes and maybe you can pick it up in this podcast on how I'm feeling. So, um, yeah. So anyways, we'll, we'll be back at you real soon. I, I'm going to have another podcast here shortly. I'm really trying hard to stay on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two, but sometimes that's not as realistic as I'd like it to be. Um, and this past Wednesday, I had a business commitment and this Friday coming, I have a personal commitment that I'm going to be unable to do my live stream. So I'm recording this one today to make up for Wednesday. I'll probably be recording another one tomorrow or maybe over the weekend to make up for Friday. And then we'll try to work our way back on to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday live stream on YouTube and on Facebook. So if you like what we're doing here, I mean, there's a few things you can do to help us. And we always love your support. We're very thankful for your support. Um, 
share this podcast with a friend. You know, that makes a huge difference. We, we only grow this audience through word of mouth. So share it with a friend verbally share it in a post, retweet it. You know, I put all of our episodes on our Facebook page, John Riley Project. And, and I post a lot of the content on my Twitter handle, John Riley Poway. So, you know, share, retweet, in some cases, just talk about it with a friend about the John Riley Project and encourage them to check it out. That would be really helpful. And I'd be most thankful if you could do that. The other thing you can do is subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to our channel and then you'll get updates when we have um, new episodes. And if we're doing a live stream, if you click on subscribe and I think the bell next to it, you'll get a real time alert when a new episode has been posted or when we are live streaming. So you can join us. And on the live stream, we love your participation where you can chime in and we can engage and have some great dialogue. And the last thing you can do that would be really helpful um, it would be to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. So um, every podcast there, you can give a one to five stars. If you can leave a five-star rating, if you think we deserve it, um, a five-star rating would be wonderful. And you can write one or two sentences. We've had a number of people that have done that, and that's really helpful. And that builds credibility for our podcast. And we're we're, we're most thankful for that. If, if you could help us in that way, you know, that would be terrific. So I'm trying to help you provide value. I'm hoping you can help me um, help build the audience and it's win-win relationship, right? Which is what it's all about. So, um, okay. I was hoping this was going to be a short podcast. It's been a little longer than I thought, but that's what usually happens when I start going, but thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And you know what? This is episode 200. So talking about big, hairy, audacious goals, talking about San Diego's thinking big, scary, big, and transforming your bucket list into a actionable quarterly plan. It's doable, my friends. We need to think big. We got to quit thinking small. And when we think big, then big things happen in our life. And that's when we are pursuing our happiness, right? So thanks again for joining us. This is John Riley Project, episode 200. And we'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye.